0: Welcome to the Commander-in-Chief Podcast. I'm Yuri Krulman, founder and CEO of Commander-in-Chief Media Group, award-winning Chief People Officer and keynote speaker, author of five books, Fortune 500 consultant and corporate trainer, and contributor to Fast Company, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Newsweek. Our mission at Commander-in-Chief Media is to help 100 billion people around the world in the next 10 years to do their life's best work in the here and now. Through storytelling, educational media, thought leadership, HR consulting, or for training, coaching, speaking, and authentic high-quality writing, helping people become their own commanders-in-chief. Now, if you're interested in being a guest on the Commander-in-Chief podcast, stick around until the end of the show. We will share with you what we're looking for and how to apply. I'm thrilled to welcome adamson Goldis, ceo of tabula um this is a conversation i've been looking forward to for a while first i want to say uh Metoka, <laughs> happy new year it should be <laughs> 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 personal business and everything else um i'm uh, i'm really thrilled to talk about um you know of course i want to hear about your vision i know you've been active in, in, in mna and all that stuff for the purposes of uh, this show Member in chief podcast. We're, we're trying to look a little bit more at kind of the human side of business, trying to figure out, um, you know, there are certain inflection points in any business. Um, a tech business is not, you know, immune. In fact, maybe um, it's kind of more, uh, more excessive in terms of how strong those inflection points are. But essentially, before the funding rounds, before, you know, all the media, the press, before everyone wants to jump on your bandwagon, you have to go through times where, Okay, maybe things are a little bit dry, or you know, your runway is short, and maybe you've exhausted your personal network for hiring people. So I'm really curious um, to dive in after you know, we get an introduction, and and, you know, I want to make sure we kind of get things in your own words. There are plenty of bios out there and all that stuff, but just from a human perspective, um, how how did you get here uh, from let's say 2007 when you started this and going through those inflection points?
1: Yeah. So first of all, uh, I've been looking forward to this podcast as well, yours. So uh, thanks for having me, and thanks everyone for um, uh, tuning in. So, so you know how I started. Just to go quickly back, you know, back in time, um, I started. I spent almost seven years um, in the Israeli army. Tabula is my first job. I started uh, from my parents' house. I couldn't find anything to watch on TV, and I thought, you know, I should not be looking for TV shows. TV shows should be looking for me. And I was convinced that sort of the future will be a reverse version of Google. Um, you know, search engines kind of change the world when you knew what you wanted to find and you can type it. But what happens when you have no idea what you're supposed to be doing next? And I was passionately excited about sort of building a world that's exclusively focused on um, each individual, sort of a, a personalized version of, of, of the world as there is so much information, you know, and we only have 24 hours a day. And I thought this problem will only get uh, worse over time. You know, what should we do next? And if you can only connect people with the right video, the right piece of content, the right product, then they actually live a better life. You know, they find their hobbies, they discover healthcare things they need to know, um, people they need to know. And so I was that was my journey. I went um, like every good, um, you know, Jewish-Israeli kid who has a huge revolution in mind. I went to my mom and I told her, mom, the future will be different. Um, and, you know, it's going to be uh, Google in reverse, search in reverse. And she sort of sent me, uh, she said, what are you drinking? Enough with this. And uh, uh, she's my best friend. And, you know, we that was a very early days. You know, she introduced me to this uh, angel investor. There's a whole story there, um, which we can get to if you want. Um, but but first, I can tell you the first four and a half, five years uh, for whoever listens to this and is working on a startup or is thinking about a startup, they were horrible in in a way that we couldn't make it work. Um, you know, there was no revenue. There was it was very hard work to survive and and keep doing what we believed. Um, but you know, today when you walk into it with 18 offices around the world, we last year which was over a billion dollars in revenue, it can be confusing now when you walk into a Tabula office and there's a logo, the size of, you know, uh, 10 feet and there's a piano in every office. And, but if you go back in in time, the early days for the first five years, we almost shut down Tabula three times. And, um, and, you know, we, we were very much um, believing that we're on the right track, but no one else believed in it just yet, you know, and uh, we were five people, seven people, 10 people for, for the first five years. So that, that's, that's, uh, in many ways, actually shaped our culture uh, for for the next decade.
0: So there's no there's no question that you guys uh, really have something in your DNA that gets gets over hurdles, and I think that's part of that is Israeli. And you know we don't need to go into army unit numbers or anything like that. But <laughs> you know, Israel by itself is is a miracle, right? There's a good quote from Ben Gurion. If you want to be a realist in Israel, you have to believe in miracles. But I think beyond that, beyond, uh, I mean, personal charisma. Look, I mean, I can, I can see right away, you're a very charismatic guy. You really love what you do. That, you know, that gets a lot of people to follow you. But at those inflection points when you're almost shutting down three times, you know, I'm, I'm guessing, again, I, I don't know all the details, but I'm, I'm thinking if I'm in your shoes and I look around, maybe I have some friends from childhood, maybe I have some guys from my unit, you know, I might have somebody from, uh, Angel investors who might get more involved in the company, but beyond that, you know, if you want to, if you want to keep the company around, never mind grow to other countries. And the first step is usually the U.S., right, because it's a massive market and right. it's, it's a very direct pipeline because you know you have a ton of Israelis there, like whatever. At, at those points, what would you say was kind of the the glue for your team? I'm, I'm asking because um, a few weeks back I had a conversation with uh, someone I'm sure you know well, Omer Kilaf right, the CEO of Novis. And uh, for an hour he was very generous with his time he went on and on about how he got a check for a million dollars and then he could go out and hire 18 of the best engineers in Israel and that is the core of the company to this day that not everyone has that opportunity not every, everyone's going to have that investor saying I'm going to invest in you no matter what you build you know best us for the rest of us so I would love to hear what what was that it's, it's I don't know if it's a pitch. I don't know if it's something I would
1: love to know what that was that kind of Kept people coming through the door to work with you. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if people came through the door. I mean, I I think that the very first initial um, you know people that joined Taboola, as well as the first investors that invested in Taboola, and that's something you always have to um, tell the truth to yourself is that the very early people who choose you, your clients, your employees, which is really your founding team, the first people who join you, your investors, they don't choose your vision. They don't choose your company. They don't choose your fame. They choose you. Um, and, and that's why you should always optimize for who are those early people that um, you have a special connection with or some sort of trust or some sort of establishment that would carry through the hard times that are coming, and they are coming. So I I completely do not believe that money can buy that um, because money can't buy someone pushing through for five years with with you know with no clients and and redefining the business model um you know and 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 your background if you're if that's the fifth company you've built you know will not push through the hard times for people who join you because you have some success in, in before they join none of that matters um in my belief what truly really matters is the the culture you establish at the very beginning and i think that culture is what sort of, you know, reinforces people to continue doing doing the work and, and pushing through and also uh, have other people join, um, you know, their, their friends and investors who want to join. And, and the very early batch is people that choose you and they don't choose, um, you know, other things. And for, for us, I think that's also kind of our secret sauce, you know. Um, our secret sauce is in many ways the way we thought about people, you know, um, I always say to Tabulas now, we're almost, you know, we're about 1700 people. And I always tell myself we're 1700 co-founders and we're still small, you know, and, and we I've, it was very early in my mind that um, the way we become superpower and against companies like Google and Facebook is that founding um, team that believe that there's nothing you cannot do. Um, and that—that that is probably our innovation. We're very transparent, and you should have seen us through the pandemic when it was so scary. How a company over the time, about 1,500 people, we talked to each other weekly. And I had a Thursday 9 a.m. call. I told my management team, I think we should start a weekly call through the pandemic with about 1,500 people. And they said, "What the hell? We, you know, we're going to talk about every week." And I said, "I have no idea, but I just want to be." Opening, opening up for anyone to ask anything, and through that transparency, will will push through, you know, and um, and those those kind of dynamics started, you know, thirteen years ago. You know, in many ways, this podcast is my bar mitzvah celebration. You know, so uh, exactly. So, so I think that is, especially in the early days. Especially in the early days, you have to ask yourself what makes someone um, stick around. And work hard and and want to change the world where you know it's a competitive market um where it's too hard they can always work for google so i'm not trying to dismiss google but you know you can always go back and work for a big company you know why change the world and and none of that is attached to um to money
0: i want to provide some context i heard uh when you were on uh, jason pfeiffer's uh, entrepreneur uh, show on his podcast um if you think about how this is usually done, right? If you think about, well, what, what do investors look at? Well, what's your pedigree? You know, did you do Harvard, Stanford, MIT, had whatever? Um, okay, great. And how big is your network? And how big is your platform? And da da So if you, if you if you go back in 2007, and you're not like, you know, it's not screaming from your background on many of those things, or you know, I don't have all the investors lined up behind me ready to throw money at me, right? It's it's pretty freaking hard. And we, it's not the same thing as in Israel now, where it seems like every week there's you know five new unicorns and five new public companies. It wasn't exactly like that, right? And then you have this kind of, I mean, one way I guess that your company is seen is this anti-Google, right? And now it's easy to say, now it's easy to beat up on Google and Facebook because there's no transparency and you know there's a whole anti- antitrust climate. But back in 2007, I would say Google was still very much a darling. And you know, what does Google do? They give you know 20% of their time uh, to employees to work on other things. They were much more of a darling. It's much harder to say back then, hey, you know, we're the anti-Google. So I, I, I just I want to make sure that our listeners are aware of that context because it's a very different environment back then. And I would say it takes a lot bigger uh, cojones to <laughs> to position <laughs> yourself that way and run forward.
1: Yeah, I, I was always, um, so, you know, the way we, we thought about Taboola and, and the opportunity was we kind of thought of the world as sur- searches when you know what you want. Social networks like Facebook or beforehand other social networks uh, were about, you know, connecting people. And then there was the open web, journalism, podcasts, um, free speech, blogs. Um, any app you have on your phone—it's a huge market. You know, it's a over $60 billion market, growing 10 to 15 percent a year. The open web, which we all love—you know, we almost take it for granted—but if, you know, if you go back in time, 25 years ago or so, it was—you know—it was a beautiful um, invention. You know, c- creating uh, a free platform for anyone to voice themselves. And um, but that but that market is a whole new. Uh, market that sits side by side to search and social, but there is no company that helping the open web succeed and thrive. And we, and you know, and looking in deeper into that, most of the open web is still using a banner format. Banners are those cubes you see on a piece of, um, on a web that you never click on. Um, and still most of the industry is being monetized with with banners. So we told the investor early on that we believe that we have an opportunity to, um You know, reinvent the way the open web thrives and grows, and journalism succeeds by creating a format that is much more like an Instagram advertising format—a feed of recommendations—or if you live in Asia, much more like WeChat. Um, But the first four and a half years, um, I met roughly thirty investors in uh, Sand Hill Road, and one hundred percent of them said no. Um, No, nobody. First of all, nobody wanted to invest in me. And by the way, I. I would probably not invest in me either. If I met myself back in the day, it was my first job. I never lived in America. I had no undergrad. Um, I was, I think I was a good engineer. You know, I, I was You're obviously the done. coolest, obviously I was in the coolest unit in Israel, you know uh, you know, uh, back in the day, but um, but we didn't fit the profile. And like I, well, I could tell, you know, people who ask me about that now, um, it makes sense they didn't invest because um they couldn't understand me. And in the early days, you have to find people that choose you and and they don't choose anything else but you. And that goes also to your first clients. I promise you, um, the founders are the ones who sell the first client. The founders are the ones who convince the first partner, they negotiate negotiate the first deal and they make mistakes. But those early batch of people, they choose them. And and that's that was um the early days and in in 2012, we moved from no revenue to a few millions of dollars in revenue. In 2014, we grew to over 200 million dollars in revenue in about 20 months. And back in 2014, um, many of those investors who said no got more excited about joining Taboola. Um, and that was actually a humbling moment, you know, <laughs> in, uh, to to get people who um, you know who you looked up to as investors to consider Taboola. But again, all of this to say, this, there's no one way. And by the way, if Taboola was my fifth job, I would probably close Taboola. In many ways, being naive and doing something for the first time, there's something beautiful about that because you actually don't know any other way. You, I thought I was, I was convinced the only way to start a startup is to work for five years with no revenue, you know. And uh, I thought that's what usually happens, and it it wasn't the case, you know. But for me, in my in my mind, it was. Um, so there's also something nice about being a dreamer you know, dreamer of dreams.
0: That's interesting. I just read today that uh, somebody kind of had a thread on Twitter or whatever, saying, look, if you're a 23 year old working for McKinsey, you have a lot more room to change a company than anybody working on the inside. What? What? If you think about it, you're coming at the invitation of the CEO. You don't have to get buy-in, all that stuff, right? And you go and you look with fresh eyes. You don't really know what the hell is what. But it's kind of like the king is naked, right? And you say, okay, but do you guys, do you see what's going on here? (laughs) And in a way, that's the only way to really push through instead of, okay, I'm a 20-year industry veteran. Ah, I've seen it all. No no way in hell that's going to work. Because we see that a lot. I want, to, I want
1: to go backwards. Actually, go ahead. You to say that. No, I just, I just want to say, you bring up a very good point, which is another, I think, piece of advice for whoever, whoever, wants to consider that one. Which is, there is this, there is this intuition we all have, that we're onto something big, and we should keep it close to our heart because, close to our chest, because we don't want others to do what we think they should, we should do, and so it's very intuitive to actually not overshare, not over exposing yourself. Mm-hmm. Not to be too vulnerable with your ideas because you believe your ideas are your, are your innovation, and it's completely bullshit. Um, execution is innovation, right? Um, it's not about. I mean, Google wasn't first, Amazon wasn't first, Facebook wasn't first, but they became by far the biggest. Mm-hmm. And why is that, right? Um, and it wasn't because they did anything for the first time; it's because they did everything so much better than anyone else. So, so another actually, you know, you're touching on exposing yourself in the, in, in the form of perhaps a mentor or, or a friend. So another, another um, thing that I like to do still, still, by the way, up until now is um to, to build around myself, you know, this group of people that I can ask questions, share my ideas. Uh, and I, I know they can use my ideas against me, but on the flip side, um, um if I do it many, many times, and I talk to people I trust and I look up to and they can be, many different types of people, I end up making better decisions. It's also how Taboola runs its company, right? So as a management team and as a culture, we over-collaborate because we believe that if I can't convince you or at least get you to consider something, then I should keep talking to you. The fact you're more senior than me doesn't mean that you're right. So so this concept of, of being in a mentor um, dynamic internally and externally and surround yourself with people that can tell you things that annoy you uh, or support you is a great thing. It's also how I think you should interview people, you know, share with them something you actually work on that is real and see how you work with them on a problem you actually have. Now it's a, it's weird to share something that you work on with someone external, Mm -hmm. but by doing that, you actually get to know them and they get to know you. So, so you're just touching something that that I missed, which I think is very valuable.
0: That's great. It's, it's interesting you say this. I just uh, wrote a newsletter. I wrote a weekly newsletter. It's kind of, you know, all of this is the podcast. The newsletter is based on a book I published earlier this year called Be Your Own Commander in Chief. Yep. And uh, in that book, one of the things that I say, and I kind of, uh, I mean, I'm 38. What the hell do I know about life? But I thought, okay, I keep reading all these great things. Like I have to make some sense of it. There's lots of tips and tricks, but there's no life philosophy, right? We in Judaism we're blessed to have a fantastic philosophy, but it's not always up to date with all you know. How does that apply to my tech job or you know my startup, whatever? So I decided kind of I'm going to meld the tool and create this life philosophy. I mean I'm completely crazy. I had my editor who was telling me like, what are you what are you doing? Make this five books? No, (laughs) I'm stubborn, stiff necked people, right? I made an 850 page book. In that book I say look. You have to put everything out. Make all your best stuff open source. And I did that as a as a coach in the beginning. It was, oh, framework! It's like my four pillars are a little bit different from someone else's four pillars. Get it out. Help people. Just that's the way you make impact. Get whatever you have, whatever you think you've learned, out to the world. Maybe someone is a step or two behind you. Bring them up to your level. That's already a great thing. So I wanted to go back uh, briefly. Um, your unit again? Maybe it's not uh, the one that everyone knows, eighty-two hundred, but apparently it's from mad geniuses. And apparently we don't we don't know. You can't say what you did or the the you know the certain security agency. But I I, I have to just you know for my own curiosity, what brought you from I don't know what exactly algorithm was going on there to doing um, something in this particular field because it's not it's not the most obvious direction.
1: Yeah, I, I um, you know, I mainly, my experience before Tabula, um, I was um, in the encryption unit of Israel. So my first project as um, an 18-year-old kid was to build an encrypted phone for the general, which was super cool. It's public, so I can say that. Um, and um, so, so, but the main thing I took from this, you know, I was an officer and I got to experience different things. And what's what's really fun about um, being in that environment is one, it's very flat, in the sense that, um, you know, we all look the same, we all wear green, we all, you know, get to do the, the work and, uh, and you get a lot of responsibility early on. Uh, but for me, what I took the most was actually not technology, even though I was in a very technological environment, was one, this sense of there's nothing we cannot do, which was a very humbling, you know, belief. And two, I met people, I thought I was good. And then I met people that I thought were from the future. I couldn't even imagine this amazing diversity of, of people that come from different places. By the way, some of them joined me Tabula, at Tabula, at and they're still with me today, mm. um, which is great uh, because they're super people. And um, and then what what that that experience mainly translates into a startup environment in the sense that it's whatever it is you do, and one I, I remind you, I think experience is the last thing that's relevant. The most important thing is. You know, the people, the culture, um, because I'll tell you something that I've learned. A good person who's passionate, has empathy, um, smart, intelligent, will learn what an experienced executive knows and will bypass them over time. Now, I'm not saying experienced people are bad. I'm not against. We hire amazing people who have done great things. But I also look for people who are Jedis, but they haven't have gotten their lightsabers just yet. You know, I want them. I want to meet them a moment before because I gotta tell you, uh, when they get to hold their lightsabers, they appreciate you giving them a chance, uh, and they've given you a chance too, by the way. So, so uh, you know, my belief is that um, you just have to be open-minded, you know, about 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 those things, and, and it's it starts early. And my experience from the army coming into Tabula was mainly, I think we can, and uh, the group of people that joined Tabula and the culture we built around it. Really helped us navigate the first five years, which were about survival, and then the next, you know, many many years of growing a company from hundred thousand dollars in revenue to you know over a billion dollars, and really building a multi billion dollar company that's now public. We've just acquired the company for almost a billion dollars, um, you know, and we're trying to build a company that can be here hopefully forever, um, and can interact with consumers wherever they may be. So that is the that is the relevant experience. It's the culture. It's what. What it feels inside it's not about what I did before
0: beautiful, beautiful it's very hard to keep that up right once you're in New York and everyone runs to you from Wall Street and you know Silicon Valley I, I salute you that's 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 not easy so pivoting a little bit um, I know that as a good Jewish boy perhaps you didn't become a doctor but I don't know people <laughs> know this about you also co-founded K health and you're sit on their board um, I'd love to kind of hear how how you got into that just very briefly and then I'm, I want to wrap up with my book uh, related
1: question okay um about five years ago i i spent a few years um, being frustrated with um, i lived in New York and uh, being frustrated with the healthcare system in the way that i i didn't understand why when i go to a doctor every time it's a different doctor and um, i almost always felt alone um, in that room when i had a pain or something didn't feel right and the doctor tried different things until something may have worked um and i was uh, you know I was frustrated with that process and feeling alone in a doctor room, and that's for people who can even afford going to a doctor. And then there's so many people around the world who can't even easily do that. And then an the alternative is Doctor Google. When you go and search for something, and you always get this anxiety at the end of the, the you know the process because uh, you land on pages that, su- that suggest you have something horrible always. So it it was just such an unsettling experience for me. And I um I one of the people who uh, became my dear friends um, when I moved to America was alone Block. Um, he, Alon, was the co-CEO of, of Wix and the CEO of Room and a terrific human being. And we sat on my bel- you know, in my small balcony uh, downtown and we started brainstorming about sort of, you know, a future where a billion people can have access to uh, a better or redefined healthcare system so they can never be alone and they can meet people like them for free by just identifying what is it that they may have. And um, Alon became the CEO. We co-founded the company. We raised money to it. We both invested. Uh, we're both on the board. And you know that now the company uh, in November, K Health will be f- five years. Uh, we have um, hundreds of employees. Um, again, Israel, New York. Um, you know the old school way of doing things. Um, you know, superpower Israel and uh, and global. And Alon is here. Um, and he, um, you know, I think Alon is an amazing CEO. I learn a lot from him. And it's a new experience for me. I never sat on any other board. I don't really invest in things. I, 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 I mentor and I meet many amazing founders all around the world. But I, um, I don't do it for any anything in exchange. Um, and I, and I'm happy to meet anyone and I learn from that as well myself. With K Health, well, it's the first time that um, I get to experience being a board member and work with a CEO like Kalon who's experienced, and um, we're having a good time too.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. See, it's like me. I also wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a researcher. I mean, some part of me is maybe like a rabbi, but uh, I have to be <laughs> my work, right? <laughs> As a head of HR, coach, you know, podcaster, whatever. So I, I totally feel you there. Um. So the last question I always ask, um, you know, people that come on the podcast is connected to my book. So just very, very briefly, uh, the book talks about four conversations I believe all of us should be having every... Every single day, you not know, just on Yom Kippur, you know, once a year. Um, and uh, those four conversations are with the body. That's the foundation. If if you don't understand your body, can't really handle it, it doesn't matter. The others are for not, okay? Because you have to focus on your health. Number two is your mental models and life skills, things that we don't get taught in school, things that experience teaches us. So how to manage your career, finances, business, manage expectations, make decisions, manage your stress, things like that. Number three is more classical coaching stuff. You know, how uh, do you manage uh, conversations or people or, you know, how do you carry on those conversations so that the other person gets what they need and you get what you need back from it. And then the last one, imagine you're climbing up a mountain. That's a conversation with God or the universe. I mean, from the point of Judaism, we we're kind of clear about where I think sin, but other people have different opinions. Fine. So I would love to ask you if, you know, what what can you advise listeners, whether they're founders or just you know listening in from somewhere, um, for any of those four uh, that you do that you found very useful for yourself?
1: You know? I love those fours. I think they're human and they're professional too. So it's kind of um, it it reminds us that we're all people too. We, we, you know when we go to sleep, we're all the same. So um, I, I think about you know body health, mind, um, something I do. I will touch a few things that come to mind, sort of across the board. One is I, I try to find my own version of meditation. People have a variety of versions for me. I run, I, I build Lego uh with my kids. That's
0: um, that's
1: awesome. Yeah, it's it's so much fun. I have some big I'm in my Lego room now. And um, you know, recording this podcast. And I also I don't optimize for you know uh, long moments of joy, like long vacations and I, I moment I optimize for just moments. Um, it can be playing a piano. Doing something with your family, taking a walk, s- watching something silly on TV, whatever that is, that just gets my mind uh, off of um, you know all the craziness that that happens. Um, I think with regards to people, I try to sur- surround myself with people I love um, that were honest with each other. There's a Yiddish word called "tachles," which is it doesn't mean unkind, you know, it means which is to to say what's on your mind. Um, and this level of honesty that you thrive for is is a great place to be because anyone can call bullshit on you. You're never too good for anything, whoever you might think you are. And um, again, it keeps you humble. Like Kendrick Lamar says, you know, um, sit down and be humble. So, uh, so I, I think who you surround yourself with is critical uh, for your life journey um, because that will help you. Everything will change around you. And, you know, the market just spoke about the Israeli market and, and there's the the space, the industry, everything will always change. This is the nature of life. But the only thing that will never change is your culture and people that are next to you, and you're next to them. And that is something uh, you spoke about dealing with people. Um, I I think you know transparency, empathy. You know these are words I use regularly because I, I believe in them. And I also talk to uh, God. Um, you know I it's don't use it often. It's a joker card. You know. But when you close your eyes and you really need it, you, I, I, um, I ask questions. I, I, um, you know, I, I have a conversation. I I think that helps me be connected also, uh, you know, with my universe. Uh, so all, all those things I, I really, um, subscribe to. And my advice to anyone is, you know, with regards to, uh, you know, piece of advice, uh, for their own, you know, commander in chief, uh, going back to your book, I think is, with regards to startups and innovation, if you know, if you if I told you that in 10 years what you do will not work, would you still do it? And I think if you say yes, absolutely yes, um, you're already on the right journey. And then um, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to fail because we all do. Uh, you heard about at least my personal story of almost shutting down Tabula three times. Yeah. Uh, and then my only advice would be um, you know, surround yourself with people that uh, together it's gonna kind of worth the journey and you're going to keep each other stronger better and i think the avengers you know like a small group of people that always win the good the good people always win i tell this to my kids so that's that would be my my uh my best advice not anything beyond that like, not any industry investors like all of that you'll figure out
0: that's why i asked exactly thank you adam this, this is a tremendous conversation um Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's it's really been an excellent conversation. It's always good to kind of go beyond all the numbers and the honorary yeah. kind of statements. You've got enough of that stuff. You've got enough of the M and A and the reporting, all that business. Thank you. It's it's a true pleasure to speak with you, and uh, certainly hope we'll stay in touch. And uh, thank you for listening.
1: Thank you, Yuri. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, thank you so
0: much for listening to Commander in Chief podcast. To apply to be a guest on the show, head on over to cicmediagroup.com backslash guest. CIC is in commander in chief. So that's cicmediagroup.com backslash guest. These guys help us spread the word about the podcast and our mission on social media. We're cooking up something truly special over here, and we really need your help to spread the message. The reviews especially are huge for helping us grow and get the golden nuggets of wisdom from our world-class guests out into the world. Go on ahead, give us a review or rating on whichever platform you use to listen. Our mission at Commander-in-Chief Media is to help 100 million people around the world in the next 10 years to do their life's best work in the here and now through storytelling, education media, thought leadership, consulting, corporate training, coaching speaking and authentic, high quality writing, helping people to become their own Commanders-in-Chief. And before you go, please make sure to hit that subscribe button for us here at the Commander-in-Chief Podcast so that you can be the first to know when new episodes drop. Let's not be strangers, friend, okay? Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you hang out. And of course, if you wanna learn more about our work and impact, Or just access some great content, plenty of that. Head on over to CICMediaGroup.com. That's uh, CIC as in -in Commander-in-Chief, MediaGroup.com. Once more, this is Yuri Kruman, and thanks for listening.